Hello everyone and welcome to episode 154 of the Good Good Golf podcast. Today we're going to talk all things AIG Women's Open and women in golf generally, but in a different format. You may have noticed that this is not the voice of Rod Murray, your usual host, taking you along the roads less well-travelled in golf. My name is Karen Harding, of no particular fame whatsoever, other than being right up here in the front seat today, hanging onto the steering wheel as firmly as possible. Some would say for dear life, actually. <laughs> Rod has been consigned to the rear seat, along with one of the other co-hosts, Jimmy Emanuel, Deputy and Digital Editor of Golf Australia magazine, while your other usual co-host, the urbane Mr Adrian Logue, is travelling roads, I believe, but not here. We shall shortly hear from the two gentlemen present, and I use the word gentlemen with enormous <laughs> respect. But first, let's introduce the most important person on this journey, and that's the Chief Navigator, also in the front seat, Emma Ballard, editor of womenandgolf.com and a frequent and popular guest on this podcast. Emma, Hello. Hello, welcome to the AIG Women's Open. I sit here in the media centre. It's quite early in the morning here uh, on the Wednesday practice day. So um, the sun is finally shining. It, it rained a lot yesterday, so I'm looking forward to uh, enjoying the sunshine today. The warmest of welcomes to you too, Rod and Jimmy. What are you guys expecting from this year's Open at Walton Heath? Can I say firstly, how, <laughs> I've got some things to say firstly too, yeah. how wonderful it is to hear a professional take control of this podcast <laughs> because it has been spluttering along for 153 episodes with a rudderless host and this is wonderful stuff, Karen. Indeed. Karen, can you see over the steering wheel? That would be my first question. Are we safe here in the back? Uh, Jimmy I and I wonder how far we would get, get. Into things before the short thing came up. Well, look, just sit, sit back in your booster chair and drive the drive the vehicle. Jimmy and I really are just going to be the thorn between two roses today, I think. One better looking thorn than the other. Thorns are thorns, mate. <laughs> There's no way around it. Uh, what are we expecting? I'm expecting – I've been looking forward to this tournament. I've said it a, relentlessly for the whole year. This is going to be, I think, the best tournament of the year. Yeah, I, I was doing some stuff on it all today and writing my weekly column and stuff, and I think the AIG Women's Open is always a highlight personally, I think, for a lot of people. But this year it is truly, mm. amongst the majors, probably the highlight. Golf course, yes, but every other storyline as well. Combination of field. Uh, it's going to be a highlight as well because I won't have to do as much work this week. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, that's right. Back to it's you. It's certainly right? my favourite major of all of them, I have to say, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's yours too, Em. Yeah, exactly. It's For me, it's just, I know everyone, well, in the UK is very much about the Open, for, but for me it's the it's the, the AIG Women's Open just because it's just such a great opportunity to to see these women up close. And yeah, it, it's for me just a real highlight of the, of the season. For Oops. those who are not familiar with Walton Heath, and there are many who would not be because it's not been a regular on the rotor, um, it has quite a proud history, opening in 1903 and boasting James Braid as its first club professional, a position he held for 45 years. Braid was a wonderful figure in golf. He was a Scottish club maker and an outstanding player with five Opens to his credit, twice at St Andrews, twice more at Muirfield and another at Prestwick amongst his many titles before he retired from competitive golf and became a prolific and respected golf course architect. Uh, both the Walton Heath courses were designed by Herbert Fowler 
another great architect who, according to the club's website, liked to test the extent of the player's repertoire. There is such a lot of rich history and interesting and influential people, including royalty associated with Walton Heath, that you have to wonder why it has never received royal status and why it has taken so long to be on the open rotor. Does any of you have an idea about that? It's some kind of glitch in the system, I think, because we discussed it yesterday on the Playing From The Tips podcast. You're right. This golf course and golf club is one of the UK's premier facilities. Absolutely. And it seems quite, it does seem quite strange, particularly given the Royal Link. I don't know. Emma, you probably understand royalty and whatnot better than us peasants down here in Australia. Might there be a legitimate reason or has it just been an oversight of history? I don't know. Um, I've listened to a few different podcasts with the um, with the chief exec here at Walton Heath, and he's been here a couple of years. Um, a guy called Alex, and and he didn't really seem to allude to the reason why it might not have been here before. I was actually quite surprised when it was, you know, announced as a host that it hadn't hosted, um, a, you know, a, a professional women's event before. So, mm. you know, and and then you look at the list; it is only, you know, a Ryder Cup, a Senior Open, a British Masters. It's not had huge, huge different things. Obviously, Open qualifying and things like that have been here, but it's, um, yeah, um, I, d- I don't actually know the reason behind it, but it's, um, it's certainly a good thing that it's finally got here. I have to say. Can I say that the the name Royal Walton Heath wouldn't sound very good? So can we can we no. call that one of the reasons? Could it be that simple? Probably I don't know. Those. Having been to Royal Port Moresby not that long ago, I'd say Walton Heath's probably maybe a little bit more qualified, but oh, but you well only barely you would think. I don't. I don't think it needs the. It doesn't need a royal. Doesn't need it. No, I think it it's one of those them. places that doesn't. <laughs> that, oh, that, I'd suggest it's probably been membership who wouldn't want it at certain. Sunningdale. Places. Well, <laughs> they probably think they're above the royal. Absolutely. <laughs> Sunningdale doesn't have it either. Do, no, do they? Of quite a few of the London Heath no. courses don't. Emma, I just I've got to ask before we go into that. What's the buzz like? There's nothing quite like I don't think a big tournament week. We feel it here at the Australian Open every year when it comes to town. We don't get much golf down here. I know you get to go to a few tournaments, not. Huge. What's the buzz like? Because it's a major, and this one has felt special in the lead-up. That might be just me and my bias, but what's it like finally being in there on the ground? Um, well, it's obviously a bit quieter because yesterday was obviously Tuesday practice day. It's a bit different from the uh, the Open where you obviously have a lot of spectators on practice days. So today's the first day that we've got spectators coming in, which is, I say, quite unusual, and it's going to be quite good. I think for personally coming to watch on the pra- practice day is the best day to come and watch. Um, so there'll be hopefully a nice buzz around the place. And you may have seen um, that ahead of the event, they've launched a sort of new festival village vibe. It's maybe the best way of describing it. Um, it's really bright, light. It's very, the music is maybe not to my taste that's that's going through the speakers. I've become an old older person in the industry, but um, it's uh, got a really young feel to it in the festivals, the fan zone area. Um, and again, I'm looking forward to going over there today to actually sort of see it in use um, and see how it's used. There's going to be coaching. There's um, obviously lots of different sports involved and there's also going to be panel discussions um, throughout the week starting tomorrow uh, on Thursday with, you know, various things around women in sport and 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 talking about all sorts of different issues, not just around golf. So they're trying something different. Um, it hopefully will attract a slightly different audience, which I think is what what the aim is. Um, but I'm also wondering, you know, how we can also appeal more to the general golf fan as well, because it'd be good to have a lot more of those uh, feet on the ground here. But yeah, the, the excitement levels are definitely building and I think it'll, you know, we'll just see how it get, kicks off tomorrow. Sure. Em, the theme of the Women's Open is golf opened up, golf full stop open, full stop up. 
to me, this is quite a clever and inclusive statement about where the RNA wants to see golf head, i.e. more attention to women, juniors and to diverse and inclusive players. So it's literally trying to open up the game to new entrants. Mm. Your your background before assuming the editor role at womenandgolf.com was in social media and branding with the UK firm Mediate. Does this slogan appeal to you from a branding perspective? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, well, it does definitely appeal. I don't know whether it's it, it's so different. I think that's the thing with the golf industry. We, we don't like to do things differently, do we? We always like to keep things the same. And, and I think from the RNA's perspective, this is quite different for them they're not they're not trying to make a carbon copy of the open they're trying to make it different they are using you know this hard-hitting branding and i think it links quite nicely or there's a link between something i went to last week which is a new golf venue that that the rna have launched up in glasgow called golf it um so it's golf it exclamation mark to make sure that you know it's golf it um and they've actually got a golf it training sort of or coaching area within the, the fan zone which is going to be run by you know pga professionals from across the uk so they're starting to pull brands sort of the branding and stuff across from other some other projects that they're running as well so i think it's definitely got a different different feel to it i'm i like the fact it's a golf open up i think the imagery is really striking i think it 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 makes me want to come and watch it but how far that message has gone beyond golf is is to be seen i think that's the one thing i'm not quite sure and i guess until you see the people coming through the door, you know, how far that message has spread. Mm. I wanted to ask you about Golfit. Um, I find this really a fascinating thing. It's a fairly unique development, isn't it? In August 2021, the RNA announced plans to redevelop the Leatham Hill Public Golf Course into a community-based golf and entertainment facility, which opened last week. And you attended there, as you said, and then wrote an article about your impressions, as did your girls, which I thought was a lovely touch. <laughs> um, what was what were those impressions, Emma, and theirs? Well, I thought I'd make them work for their free you know, day out with money to, to Glasgow. Good we were work. sitting at the airport and I said, can, can, can you write down what you, what you thought of the day? And actually it was quite nice because... I am a big advocate for getting women and girls into golf, but unfortunately I've not been able to convert my own two children who are 12 and 10 into the golf space much. They like doing pitch and putt. They like doing adventure golf, you know, that sort of thing. But then really going to a driving range, I'm not really wanted to go on the golf course. So when, um, when I got the invite and they encouraged you actively to bring your children along because it was summer holidays, um, it seemed like the perfect opportunity. So yeah, it, Again, it's it was so different from what you would expect a golf venue that the R. I guess because you're saying it's from the RNA, it's not a very nice thing to say just because it's the RNA, it's not going to be it's not going to be good. What I mean is it's it's just so different. It was the the word I used a lot is industrial. It's you know concrete floors and breeze blocks, you know, but walls that are being painted. It's it's open pipe work. It's metal work everywhere. So it's it's very sort of. Yeah, it's not it's not your cosy, comfy golf club that you walk into uh, on a regular basis. It's completely different, and it, neither did it have to be that. But it's um, the idea really behind it was, is the community. It's about bringing lots of areas of the community together. But that vehicle is golf, and and it's really interesting how they've done that. Mm. Karen, I, I was wondering uh, the question. Part of the question for that golf opened up slogan. It ties into the golf fit too. I think. Who do we need to market here? Existing golfers or outside golfers? We're trying to attract outside golfers, but I wonder whether there's an education process for those of us already in the game who aren't used to the sort of stuff as Emma's laying it out. 
It's an interesting notion, isn't it? The RNA have got a bit of a, a tightrope to walk there in some ways, don't you think? Yeah, they do. They've got to um, not only appeal to existing golfers, but also try, and this is the case for governing bodies around the world, really, to also bring in new entrants. Um, and it seems like they're trying to do that by getting away from the older model, which perhaps we could call golf but quieter. the vil golf league (laughs) yeah so i think what they're doing is worth trying um you you know one of the biggest influences in golf is still families aren't they and friends so if people who are golfers bring some of their young friends or family members who don't play and they come and have a good time they're going to potentially say to themselves this this is a a great game. This is pretty cool. I'll give this a go. Yeah. I was going to add in as well that with the the way they've set up the course, for example, there's five different tees and obviously they've very much steered away from any traditional colour of tee that we all know. Um, so you could go and play this nine-hole course in any way format you want. Um, but what I really liked is that they have a really far forward tee, which is a star, but it is literally a star on the ground. It's like an astro tee. Um, in the, and it's got a red star around it. And um, obviously that's very much for the children um, to be able to go out and have a really short course, but, you know, again, get that experience. And I think they, that's really well thought out. It could have just been a forward tee put in the ground, but they've made it into a star, which makes the kids feel, you know, that they're doing something, you know, really exciting by going out that far and sort of hitting from there. And I know they're doing something else, which I haven't really investigated, but it's talking about playing five holes or five, five for Friday or something like that. So again, five, Five people playing five holes on a Friday. Um, I'm not sure again how the concept's going to work, but it's you know they're trying different things. They're, they're going to sort of, you know, I, I did speak to um, director of De- development when I was there, and she was saying, you know, they're not going to get it right. It's not going to be 100 percent perfect, and that's they're going to learn from what happened. But they did take a lot of feedback after they tried to. They initially launched the plans in 2021. They took a lot of feedback, and then it changed a huge amount from that initial drawing. To what we saw last week. Mm, as with anything, there's always highlights and homework, isn't yeah. there? And you don't achieve well, anything by not trying. No, not on the no exactly. It, it feels, Jimmy, from the outside like it's not a box-ticking exercise, and that's really encouraging from what Emma said, from what Michael McEwen wrote in yeah, his exactly. piece for Bunkett about golf it, with this golf opened up. Yep. just feels like we've gone beyond box-ticking finally and trying some innovative stuff. Absolutely. Um, I think the RNA as they should be, are certainly the leader in all of this stuff. You just had to listen to Martin Slumber's talk at the Men's Open about when talking about money in professional golf and particularly men's prize money, that he instantly referred it back to primary mission of growing golf and particularly women and girls. And it's not just to look like they're doing the right thing. It is for a purpose. Um, It is far from a box-ticking exercise. And I think... for golf it and all of that, it they deserve a lot of praise. But I think there's more and more happening mm. around the world that's falling into this same category. I know when you tweeted about it and mentioned Australia and someone said, well, look, they're trying yeah, it at Wembley, these, at Wembley and, and Sandy Lynx has that as its basis. So it's just got to grow. And uh, it's really encouraging to see it and see it as a genuine attempt at something rather than we know we should and that's how we get government money. And, and I, I don't think that's the case with any of the organisations, particularly in charge of golf at the moment. Does that ring Jimmy, true to you? Sorry, sorry, oh, sorry you go, Rod. No, I was just going to say, Emma, does that ring true to you? You've been there, you're on the ground, you're talking to the people from the RNA. Does it feel like we've gone beyond box ticking perhaps finally? 
I think I think it went beyond box ticking probably when they when they launched yeah. the charter back in 2018. Yeah. Um, it was actually really. I know I'm sort of segueing between different things. I will let Karen, um, <laughs> you know, steer the ship, as she said. But, um, you know, we had the Women in Golf Awards yeah. last night, which is a UK-based awards and, and only the second time we've had them. And um, one of the award winners said, you know, thanks to the, the Women in Golf Charter, it gave them the vehicle to be able to make change at their golf club at a quite, a, you know, you know, a, well, prestigious, you know, quite sort of member-focused golf club, you know, that that for me the box sticking stopped when they when they launched the charter because it showed an absolute commitment to wanting to really change the landscape of golf at all levels um and to me that was i'm obviously again i've benefited from it personally but i i think to me that was when it stopped happening um but i think it's because of covid we've seen a bit of a setback and now we're finally sort of seeing what actually has been done and what the rna really trying to do in this in this women and girls golf space Karen, I cut you off before, which I didn't oh. feel bad at all about, but I, we should come That's back. That's all right. Here, as far as you. the Women in um, Golf Awards, uh, I think this is a fabulous um, initial, um, sorry, initiative. It's in its second year, um, celebrating women in all areas of the golf industry, which I think is great. And you said it went well last night, Emma. Um, you produced an article on this for womenandgolf.com in which you wrote, in a change from the inaugural event, men will be invited to attend in a move designed to connect the women who are rising stars of the industry with the mostly male decision makers. Mm. I f for mine, I feel that although we halted where things were with the charter and also here in Australia with Vision 2025, um, as I said before, there's always highlights and homework. I think we've got to celebrate our successes but to me, there is still homework, and that is the next frontier in the growth of women's golf, having women with more presence in actual decision-making. For the moment, we still have men telling women what men think women need because they are still around the world in the positions of power. Happily, we are seeing women rising everywhere in clubs, on boards, and in all areas of the golf industry, but there are still areas, significant areas, where ultimate decision responsibilities still lie with men. So I'm wondering how you feel, Emma, about that. And then Rod and Jimmy, what are your thoughts from a male perspective? Emma, you go first because we'll probably get ourselves in trouble. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> let, me yeah, yeah, let me prepare no, to get cancelled. <laughs> I think um, no. I mean that that is the thing for, for for me. Actually, it was really important to have some of the sort of male advocates in the room last night because they really. I don't. They they're already there championing women, women in their organisations and across the industry. But I think until you're in the room, in fact, the women, even the women that weren't able to be in the room because it's only only a hundred a hundred guests there last night. You know. You get you get a different feel when you're in the room. You see the achievements that are being celebrated, and you know you hope obviously those stories go beyond the room. Um, but we had you know um, the chief exec of England Golf there. We had the chief exec from Bigger, which is the Greenkeeping Association over here in, in the UK. Um, we had you know representatives from the PGA. Um, where I don't know if we had anyone from the RNA. I, I can't remember the entire room, but it was um, it was really important to have those male faces in, in in the audience and i i don't know i, I don't think i'm necessarily against you know we, we 
having men at the top of organisations, but I think that it is getting a lot better with regards to more women coming up through into the higher ranks at a lot of um, brands and, and organisations here in the UK. So I think things have improved hugely in the last few years. So I don't know. I don't want to bash the guys, but uh, I'll let the guys respond on what, what their <laughs> thoughts are. Jimmy, you go. No, nah, you go first, right? I'm just... I actually, th- I tend to think that you're right, Karen, historically and still far too much. We see far too many men holding all of the positions. We haven't had yet a head of the RNA who's a woman, uh, and nor have we had the USGA, and nor have we here in golf, in, a, in golf Australia, I don't think, to this point. Well, or only with PG. Karen in charge of the WPJ. But Karen in charge of, the, No, that's right, but yeah. sort of the head of golf Australia, and they're important sort of figurehead positions. Uh, it's a tough one. I think the game suffers – when we and this is true of all elements of life, when you don't have balanced representation, a bunch of blokes sitting in a room making decisions, be it about golf for women, golf for men, golf for kids or whatever it is, cannot be as creative, as interesting as a room full of men, women and kids. Men, women and people from different countries who speak different languages. It just can't be as interesting and so it's maybe not just a gender thing, though that's a part of it, but I just think it's much – the game is better off if there's more people involved in having input into how the game is. I think the golf it, it sounds to me, you could take your crankiest club golfing mate to golf it, and I suspect 90% of them would go, actually, yeah, it's not for me, but it's a good that it exists. And you don't get that without trying creative stuff. So that's – Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, um, certainly the history is not – what we need it to be, um, and and that goes down to golf clubs. I mean, when you get, as Rod mentions, you know, talking about trying to appeal to all different ages and genders and whatever, when you had a board that was all male and of a certain age, you know, for women certainly there wasn't the the major focus of just, just the pro in the pro shop. Yeah, it it wasn't. It was no concern of kids either and how to best attract juniors and all that sort of stuff and you know, it's heartening to see more women in positions of power that are significant and they're you know on their merit because they are the best person for that job um we can do better um we always can we're never going to get to a point where it's anyone should be happy with how we are imagine if we did well, so imagine if we did. It, we're uh, we, cancel the game. What have we got to complain about? We've solved the Rubik's cube. Let's move on. Um, but I mean, I was I was heartened to be doing something on and and golf equipment is unique in there's women's stuff, but it's often not best for a lot of women who play the game at a higher level than others. So it's this interesting area that I've always found fascinating. But I was heartened the other day when Ping released a new women's range. And the quotes in the story from Ping, where it would normally be John K. Solheim, who's the grandson of Carsten Solheim, who's the CEO, the quotes were from an executive vice president called Stacey Powells, who is executive vice president of Ping, but specifically she leads the area on women's golf products and women's golf research. It's not a case of we know what we're doing and here's what you get and that's why. It's someone who's actually got a vested interest in it beyond making money um, to make calls around what we're going to produce as a brand. And I think you're seeing that more and more in organisations as well. Um, I think it's – if I was – the Women in Golf Awards, if I was offered the chance to be invited to something like that, I'd love to go along to something like that and and – in there to support the event and the, to support the women in golf that are receiving awards and nominated and also just to learn from that as well. I think it's a learning opportunity. You're kind of supporting the game, aren't you, Karen, if you support that view, I think? Well, I think that if we are 
marketing the game or trying to put out that it is a game for all, I think we need to be true to that. Mm. And that means the administrative structure and across the golf industry, we need to have various people represented. Um, I mean, I don't want to seem to be critical of anything. As I say, my belief is always about highlights and homework. But there is still some homework. I don't mm. think we're ever going to get to perfection, but we can always keep working to improve. Um, and I think there is a risk in some areas of what's called virtue signalling, mm -hmm. which is people who are saying that they support not just women, but the other minorities in, in golf, um, but they don't walk the talk. And I like to see people actually do that mm -hmm. to put into practice, not just say pretty rhetoric. Good call. It's funny, plug for the Afraya Academy Kids Golf Podcast, which I've got a bit of an involvement, obviously, helping behind the scenes. The guest coming up this week, the podcast will be out later this week, but uh, and I know this happened because I did the edit. One of the little sound grabs that we grabbed was uh, the host asked her, she's a 15-year-old girl who's a member of a club in England whose name escapes me at the moment, Emma, but I want to put you in touch with her. She was really impressive. She was asked about challenges, and I was really pleased to hear her just say straight out, it's often older men at clubs who just don't treat you with any respect because you're juniors. Yeah. And I think there's the same element of that with women. So she's 15 years old. That's, that's clearly going to change as she grows up. But it's, a, it's worth listening to these kids' golf podcasts. It's not the most enthralling golf content that you'll hear, and you're not going to hear what Tiger's up to or Rory. But the perspective these kids bring in their innocence and the way they think about the game is fantastic. Now, I thought that was a really interesting one, and you'll probably hear that grab in the next couple of days because I made a little audiogram out of it. But it was just, we're still there, aren't we, Karen, in so many ways? I think it points to what you say. The reality of experience of this young girl at golf is that it's old men often assuming that she's not going to rake the bunker. You know, it might not be because she's a girl, but it's because she's a junior, but it's that same idea of just a preconceived notion and making it unwelcome for anybody who's different to you. And that's really what we need to get away from. Making Well, interestingly enough, place. when I did the research for the story, The Chrysalis Moment in 2021, the group of women that was most, remember I did that looking at stages, yes. women in stages of golf rather than ages, the group that spoke most about intimidation in going into golf clubs was actually the women over 50. Really? Because they were coming perhaps from a job and so on, but they felt unwanted because they were older, because there was already the push for young people. So I think we have to have a push, a push for people. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they're young or teenagers or 50 plus. It is being sold as the game for life. So we need to recruit all ages, all stages, Across all shapes and sizes, everybody welcome. Send me the link for that chrysalis story again too, Karen. I'll put that in the show notes that because was, if you've read it, it's well worth so reading good. again. That was one of the again, best stories I've ever read. Yeah. Agreed. Thank you, Emma. Flattery will get award. you everywhere. <laughs> you won the award for that, if I'm not mistaken. Did you not, Karen? And as you should have, it, was, it really was a fabulous piece. Sorry, what was that? It was awarded, yes. yes you did win remember. the award. That's yes. right. Yeah, fantastic. Right. Yeah, Excellent. Uh, Emma, Open Week coincides with Women and Girls Golf Week. What can you tell us about this initiative from England Golf? 
Yeah, it's one of those weeks where it's absolutely mental for us as a women's golf specific title here in the UK because it falls with this Women and Girls Golf Week. So it just full on each day. There's a different theme. This is, I think, the fourth or fifth year that we've been doing Women and Girls Golf Week. So each week, each day, there's a theme. So Monday was what they call newbies. Uh, we've got volunteers, careers, role models, health and well-being. Um, and, you know, trying to recruit new players. Every every day, there's a different theme. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really great initiative from England Golf, and it's been adopted by all the other NGBs across the UK as well. So they all get involved um, in the whole process, which is again being quite unusual. Not used to be sort of working in silos, so it's quite good that they um, all come together. But yeah, it's it's really mainly a social media campaign is probably the best way of describing it and and they use the hashtag why i golf um and you'll get celebrities and 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 just regular club golfers and all, the whole spectrum of people getting involved um again it's just to highlight the the women and girls within the industry and um hopefully showcase that it's a, a sport that you want to get involved in mm. i think it sounds absolutely fabulous it's, it's good. It's just a lot of it's a lot of work in the background uh, for, for women in golf <laughs> because we're trying to do, we're kind of trying to cover the women's open, and then we're having to do uh, two or three daily stories around um, each topic, which is great. And I, I do love it. I just wish that it didn't fall on the same same week every year. That's all. Uh, or that there were more of you. Or that there were more of you. I mean, you keep saying we, 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 and I keep getting this feeling that the yeah. we you're referring to might predominantly be do you, you. Know, do you know what i am i am it is definitely a we this week um i've got my colleague charlotte who has been an absolute trooper this week and she has been helping helping pull um some of the interviews together um otherwise i put in couple of probably sunk um what with evian being two weeks ago and um everything else that's going on it's been um it, it's definitely had to be a, a team effort this time but yeah it's just it's two, two of us pulling it together but um yeah it's certainly not just me on my own it's it's not the dream job that people from within and outside golf think it is covering golf tournaments, which is not to say it's a bad job. It's a fantastic thing. But you work, Jimmy, from morning to night Absolutely. for six straight days. And you see it's a lot mad, of, isn't it? <laughs> you see a lot of hotels and yeah. a lot of golf courses, and that's about it. And a lot of time wondering, have I missed this story? Have I missed that story? Somebody's, somebody's got a story that you didn't get. You did something else instead. Was that the right thing to do? Somebody's shooting 29 on the front, and somebody's shooting 45 on the back, and which one are you going <laughs> to cover? And, and a women's open like Emma is doing this week, where it's all one tee. Yeah, it's not split tee So times. when you're doing something like I'm imagining Emma is doing this week, where oh, yeah, we better be there for the first tee time. And you know you better be there at the <laughs> well, end of the last the of the group day to too, make in sure case there's right. no 63 in the last group. It's a rather tiring week. Uh, I don't know if I've ever yeah. told you this story, Karen, but at the Australian Open one year, because what happens is you start writing your daily rap story before play finishes because you kind of know who the names are and what they've done and that sort of thing. You kind of got a good idea who's leading, who's going to lead with a couple of groups left on the course. And this poor kid from Finland, I think he was in the Australian Open when he was out in the second to last group. And he, he birdied 13, 14 and 15 and a rumble went through the media centre. He birdied 16 and a bunch of blokes went out to follow him. <laughs> Thankfully, he birdied 17 and 18 and all of our stories could stand. He didn't have to rewrite the whole thing. But yeah, there you go. That's how. Mm, gonna, these are the things that people who uh, don't do this job but think that it's all very glamorous. Cameras don't don't realise, do they? Though my personal favourite is um, somebody saying to me once, when you're going stir crazy, oh, do you do that um, full time? <laughs> and you think full time and then some. <laughs> yeah, that's some, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I, it's, I, it's, 
my favourite concept of that pre-written game stories is I've written a million of them that then just get spike control A (laughs) delete. But like nothing salvageable. Yeah, I've written right. six hundred words, and every yeah, single one of them is a waste. But I saw someone, a journal I know in America, who said we should all save them and all put them together as a <laughs> collection a of the game stories that didn't uh, happen. That's a great and idea. like the yarns that are in there, because yeah. you, you often find one you're so passionate about, you're yeah, like, oh, this right. is great, and then it's like, oh, well, that's all over. That's he, good. He triple bogeys the seven eight. That's right. Ah, like, oh, God, what that's are you right. doing here? Fantastic. As, as, it was like that last year at the, women, at the Women's Open because obviously Ash Buheist have imploded slightly and everyone had been writing their stories and I was watching everyone around me going, no, no, no. <laughs> and then obviously went, how many playoff holes? And I, I just think everyone was just at the point going, I can't believe this. I've written everything. It was She was going to win by miles and, and it was just... Yeah, everyone's faces were, were quite a picture, I have to say. Yeah. Obviously, we're bad. getting to sit sit next to um, uh, a good friend of the podcast, John Huggan, watching his face deteriorate throughout <laughs> the uh, final round was uh, entertaining well, in itself. But, that's uh, because it, pr- probably with that timing, Huggy hadn't had his media centre nap, nap for the that's day. That's right. And so, it goes to a playoff, you can't sleep. It was right over dinner time, right over, you know, like our, our dinner time. So it was uh, it was quite late. Um, no, he, gen- but, he generally has his sleep in the middle of the afternoon. Middle of the afternoon. Two, Fingers three. over the keyboard. Board, yep. mind you, so Hovering. that you can't really tell. Hovering. But those of us uh-huh. who know, know. I was going to say, he's sitting in front of me rather than next to me this year, literally bro- blocking my view to uh, <laughs> to the press. We've got the press, um, is happening right in front of us here this year. Um, so he, he was laughing yesterday that he's literally, I've got his head as my view. That's a genuinely awful view. That is a terrible place <laughs> the, to be. The front of Huggy's head is not much to, to look at, but the back of it is very, no. very ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to move sideways maybe. But um, I was just going to add in as well that um, um, Adidas, who one of the brands that support the, the AIG Women's Open, um, had a um, um, sort of women's golf um, evening on Monday night. And it was unbelievable, spectacular. I can't even describe to you the evening itself. So I shared this on on social media and talking about your, your, your job. Everyone's like, I want your job. It's amazing. Look <laughs> at what you do. Like, do you actually do any proper work and all this sort of stuff? So mm. you've got to you've got to take some of the some of the highs with the with some of the lows of um, you know being really long days like like today and, and the rest of the week will be. And um, with Mel Reed teeing off first tomorrow, and she's one of my favourites. Yeah. So I'm going to be there hopefully at six thirty. In the morning, ready to watch her tee off, and then, as you say, be there till the last um, putt drops tomorrow uh, evening. The biggest mistake you make when you start is booking a flight home on Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you never do that. Never fly yeah, Sunday. Never, never Sunday never night. Yeah. Emma, when people say that to you about, you know, do you ever do any work? Just tell them you're not Logue. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. We actually do work for you. None of us are Logue. He's sauntering around Japan, Japan doing God yeah. knows what. Yeah, not doing this. Yeah, More to the right. point. Who cares what he's doing? We know what he's not doing. Karen, we've, we've stolen the, the rudder off you here. Guide us uh, back to the Women's Open. Yes, back at the Women's Open. Jimmy alluded earlier to prize money. So um, this can be a curly one, can't it? Although it shouldn't be really. It should be just this is what's on offer for this event this week. But we're not there yet. For some time now, the difference in prize money between men's and women's sport has been, and it still is, an issue. And so it should be, because like it or not, it's linked to both visibility and visibility of women in a sport and gender equality. Um, I'd like to have a, a bit of a look at this and discuss some of the context as everyone sees it. Just give you some figures first, so bear with me on these. Just while Karen's doing that, she sent an Excel spreadsheet. I don't know what you were thinking, Harding. 
I can't do numbers at the best of times, but she set an Excel spreadsheet, which I opened in fairness and now need you to explain to me, Karen. Well, I was just going to ask you, <laughs> did you understand it? The answer no. is obviously no, so no. I will explain it to you. Thank well, you. And, and my numbers strength isn't very good. The last time I caddied was for Steph Bunky and she got disqualified for some of her own scorecards. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you two are now out of the conversation. This is directed to you, Emma. <laughs> Uh, these relate. These figures relate to prize pools over the last five years for the Opens and the US Opens only, both run by governing bodies, not the relevant regions' tours. The 2023 AIG Women's Open is being played for a prize pool of 7.3 million US dollars. By comparison, the prize money for the Men's Open this year was 16.5 million. In other words, the men's open prize pool this year was $9.2 million higher than the women's. In 2022, that gap was $6.7 million. So, you know, it's stretched out quite a ways. And five years ago, it was only six. Now, the US women's open this year was $11 million. The men's US open was played for $20 million. Comparing again, we can see that the men's US Open prize pool is $9 million higher than the women's. In 2022, that gap was $7.5 million, and five years ago, it was $7 million. Now, some better news. Over that five years, the prize money for the AIG Women's Open has increased by $62.2 million compared with the men's increase of $57.1 million. So more money has gone into women than men in an actual sense. And the prize money for the US Women's Open has increased by $100 million compared to the men's by $60 million. So the overall increases would seem to indicate growing financial support for the women's majors, yet there is that gap between the men's and women's prize pool now being significantly higher suggesting that the percentage increases are the actual issue, 100% of 1 million being a lot less than 50% of 5 million, for example. So the question still remains, with all this financial support going into women's golf, it's still losing ground in the prize pools. Um, Will we ever see prize pools? What do you think? Parity, you mean? Do you parity, mean parity? prize pools, I should say. Sorry, I think I think there's a couple of things to unpick there first, and one of them being particularly this past two years, I think the live golf disruption has skewed the men's figures, as and we've seen at a similar time, unrelated, the women's purses have jumped almost exponentially in the last three years in the majors only. I think there's a discussion to be had about how healthy that is to create this two tiered yeah. system of week to week golf and then the majors. And the the second thing about that, Karen, and it's a, it's a, there is a you need to make a business case as well. The Corn Ferry Tour don't play for as much as the PGA Tour because, as a business model, they don't attract as much attention. I think women's golf deserves more attention than it gets, but I think you need to get the attention to drive the business case as well. So, just increasing the purses, I don't think, has necessarily done a great thing for women's golf, increasing the purses in the majors. It's not a bad thing, but I don't think it achieves much in a longer term. I mean, 
these things are like a house. The foundations have to be solid, and then you can build a spectacular house on top. Just building the spectacular house on without improving the foundations, I'm not sure you get a better house at the end. So I don't know whether that's controversial, I, but I, I think when you're comparing it to men's prize money, I think the biggest thing in it partly ties into what Rod said about live and stuff is that I think it's going to prove very soon to be exceptionally unsustainable. Oh, it's ridiculous. The men's golf at the moment is ridiculous. We know that. It, I mean, it's sickening amounts of money, number one, mm-hmm. but it's quite clear with how the PGA Tour had to go their way to make their prize purses high that that was not sustainable. The men's majors, I think, is similar, and Martin Slumbers kind of yeah, said that without saying that at the men's open. Um and I think so when measuring against, which is a completely understandable exercise and a worthwhile one, I, uh, what you've done, Karen, I think I think men's golf is a is not a good thing for women's golf to see as a bit of a target maybe of where to get to um, because, like Rod says, creating these majors that are worth so much more and whether that is a sustainable way to move forward with, with, with prize money is going to be a difficult thing to sort of navigate. Mm. Um I think the amounts, like I say, the the amounts with men's golf was on the back of, of course, Tiger and, and to Rod's point about attention and, and sponsorship and stuff, he's no longer a factor. Um, it's going to prove very difficult. Women's golf, particularly the LPGA prize money, I think they went about as a much more building block step by step and have done a good job of maintaining equity in tournament prize purses across the the tour schedule but the majors have gone up so much um and i wonder how sustainable that is as well um you know it's great to see playing for more money but as you say karen it would be nice to see it not getting to be a further gap but i think men's golf professional golf at this stage is such a outlier and such a uh such a mess in terms of this money stuff that uh, we won't know uh, for a couple of years where it actually all sits, really. Yeah, I guess my concern with it, I certainly uh, take the point that I think Liv's influence is in that, for sure. If if that hadn't been the case, I think probably that gap would not have broadened in the way that it has. The concern for me is that the prize money is a part of the visibility thing. So, you know... The ordinary people, um, and we're looking at non-golfers, and again, this is a, a live factor in some respects, isn't it? When they look at things like prize money, um, what the players are being paid, you know, that may live, for example, made the national news. We're trying to focus many of us on grassroots golf, and yet what goes out to mainstream people not playing the game is the size of the purses that the live players are getting. Now, by trying to match that with some of the prize pools, the PGA Tour I'm speaking of, um, they're contributing to that stereotype that it's a game just for rich people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because women at this stage haven't been in live, and I don't know whether they will or won't, um, but when you then look at the gap between what men are receiving and women are receiving – it tends to give people the idea that the women are still second rate and that we all think and know that that's just not the case. So how do we get around that? I think that's... It's, I was going to let Emma answer that. I was going to say, it's such a, <laughs> that's such a tough question. I mean, 
from my point of view, looking at the, the figures that you laid out, and thanks for doing that because I've never bothered to actually do it myself. I think the fact that there has been a huge investment in the women's game is 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 a great takeaway. I think from my point of view, I, I'd love to know. I need I need to know a few more non you know non golfers around me. How much is there a focus on the prize money to those outside of the industry? It's a weird one because I, as a sports fan, I I don't know really how much you know the women at the world cup you know football right. world cup at the moment how much they're getting paid or how much the netball players are being paid for for the for the world cup they've just played in you know we've got such a massive focus in the, in the golf industry amongst ourselves about this this the pay and, mm. and and the prize funds and stuff and you know you'll often see articles on most websites saying you know prize breakdown for this tournament and you're like it just sounds, we just sound really bad as an industry as a whole, whether it be women's or men's golf. You know, we're having to always talk about how much someone's winning. You know, it's not about a trophy. Um, and I know, obviously, with tennis and things like that, and they're talking about, you know, equal prize prize money at the, at the major tournaments there. You know, the Grand Slams, I I, I don't know. I just, I, I think we have to, we have to accept that women's golf is just not in the same space or, you know, the same level as men's golf when it comes to the exposure it gets the product that's produced that the fans are watching you know we, we i think that one of the majors we had one year it was 12 hours of coverage how can you justify 12 hours coverage and then give them you know a, a, an a you know a seven or eight million pound prize purse if that's what you're getting obviously that's not like this week but you know we we aren't producing that we're not producing the same products in in the women's game that, that you're seeing in the men's game and also it comes down to that horrible thing that I hate people saying, you know, well, how many people are coming and watching and how many ticket sales and, you know, and that side of things as well. So, yeah, I, I think parity is a, a long, long way off at the moment because I don't know that the, that the product we're producing for the women's women's game is good enough to justify the, the figures that we would wish that these, these women were getting. Yet. Yeah. I do think yeah. there's a bit of a chicken and egg question yes. in this, which comes first, visibility or support? Don't you? Because do you, yeah. you know, benign? Um, sorry, do you beneficially put money into women's sport that helps them to get some vo- more visibility that can create success? Um, you know, there was mm. a study a couple of years ago, a UK study, Emma. I'm sure that you saw it, which actually indicated that um, you know we've been told many times that the money would follow the success. In other words, the women have to play better to earn more. But that um, visibility study actually showed that with support, um, it could create success. So you know with greater resources, you can have better develop pro- development programs. There's a, a lot of benefit there. So the two have got to work hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. I think yeah. I think one of the one of the difficult things is I hate the idea of you discount you know a, a women's event getting less money because less people and watching and stuff but when you when you break it down to this week and the men's open a couple of weeks back that's where the RNA makes its money for the entire year to support all levels of golf I don't know the breakdown of a women's open, but I would hazard a guess it's not a similar situation. It's not contributing as much. It's not contributing nearly as much. And so it becomes a difficult balance. And and like you say, Karen, whether it's chicken or egg is a difficult thing. I think to, to... when you talk about outside vision of how much money there is, I think it can be a bit of a cross to bear too that 
if you were playing the Women's Open this week for $15 million, people then will come and make negative comment on something if they don't think it's as good. Mm. They may be ill-informed and they may be wrong, but the Women's US national soccer team is a great example where they are paid at parity to the men's team. It's one of the it's the only one in women's football. One of the primary out, uh, one of the primary results of that is they get so much more scrutiny and they get so much more negative scrutiny from people who don't actually care about women's football but it's an opportunity to take a wide shot. So if we're talking mainstream media and wider perceptions I think it brings in a lot of negative too when you maybe put the card a little bit in front of the horse with awful well intention to get there eventually as well. Um, in terms of how we get there, I wrote something a little bit today about the Women's World Cup and, and tying into golf and stuff. And I think where golf will never be at the same level as football, but the best example is by producing the product and putting it on a in a way that people can see it. Accessing it. And I've had that many conversations at home the last couple of weeks with people who say, I don't like soccer, but I've been watching every game. I don't like, I don't watch women's sport, but I've been watching every game. I've never, I had someone say to me who watches an excessive amount of sport in all men's, women's, you name the sport, they watch it. Not a big soccer person. They said to me today, I've never been more excited about watching a sporting event than I was about watching the Matildas the other day. They will now watch and they would be full supporters of more money and stuff. But there's, that person I know has no concept of what they're getting paid. What you've no, got but there that's where it, um, the importance of visibility comes. Yeah, from, absolutely, absolutely, and and how you get that visibility in golf with the majors and stuff. This was kind of the column I was working on today. Was uh, it's such a difficult concept to kind of wrap your head around? I mean, when we had Emma on a couple of weeks ago to talk about Evian, we talked about major fatigue. And she didn't solve anything. She I didn't solve her, anything. Asked her no. to solve a number of issues. But no, she didn't, she didn't solve a single problem. But. Evian sits in this spot where schedule-wise it's the week after the men's open, it's two weeks before the women's open, it's it's you know, it's an awkward sort of thing. And and I in a magazine column for the next magazine coming coming out wrote about Solheim Cup, Ryder Cup, Mixed President's Cup and this whole idea. And the whole idea has to hinge on this idea that every powerful organization in professional golf sits down and works out a schedule where everyone gets their spot in the calendar to have the stage. And as we all know, that is not going to happen. That's impossible. Look at this week. But look first at, first and, event of the FedEx Cup playoffs, every top male player playing and, uh, and exactly. up and, against them. And the visibility thing, and, and it's one of my absolute pet peeves from last year, and that was Liv making player signing announcements in the weeks of women's majors. I tweeted about it. I got called names and virtue signaling and all what, that sort of stuff. Live, that's on you. Yeah, unusual, I know. But then again, we get the same thing this year, but this time it's the PJ Tour this week announcing mm-hmm. their next year schedule during Women's Open Week. Like, yeah, it, but it, it, I give, was going to just add in that, that, you know, the problem is as well, you say chicken and egg. We, we don't, as an industry, or I, I always bash the UK, I'm not talking about Australia as such, but we don't cover women's golf well enough no. over here in the UK. So again, how can we, it, I spoke about this last year. I think it's, it's, it is, uh, I don't want to call it a lost leader as such, but you do need to invest time and effort into the women's game to, to, to grow the exposure, to then grow the fandom, to then, you know, it is, it is sort of a, a rolling, uh, a rolling thing. And it's, it's a frustration of mine that 
you know, there are journalists on, you know, going on holiday during women's women's majors, which they would never do during a men's major and things like that. And I just think it just takes a little bit of time and investment just to to increase that exposure, which would just make such a big difference. Um, and, and what we tend to get over here in, in the UK, and we had it with Evian, was that, you know, titles don't report on, on the women's majors and all they report on is Carlotta Saganda getting, you know, DQ'd. That's their entire story of the week. Mm. And then probably the, the roundup at the end. And you're thinking, well, what has a, 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 a just a general golf fan got from from that experience? Absolutely nothing. Oh, well, they're slow playing women's golf. Oh, women's golf is rubbish. And it's just like, it's so frustrating that a lot of the time uh, in this country, a lot of the, the coverage we get is is negative. And so that you could, you know, just a normal golf fan is building a negative perception of women's golf. And would you want to go and watch women play? They're such slow players, and 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 you know, you know, and and then obviously it comes back to what Karen said about you know they're not playing for the same money, so then well they're probably not as good, so they're not the product's not as good. And then, um, yep. so it's just a it's a major major no, major frustration for me. I, I I think that that coverage of that Saganda slow play penalty and stuff is it kind of like a lot of things in the golf space that. It, women's golf shows a better example of what a wider problem is, but it's more tightened in because it's it's not given the same attention as it should be. That you'd write that, about a slow play penalty on the PGA Tour if they ever handed one out. Oh, but that, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? That Segunda story is it's what we all understand as digital, valuable yeah, clickbait stuff. Yeah, Absolutely, and so that's becoming more and more prevalent in every event, in every week, but. Without the supporting other stuff, that's right. the problem is, is that it's the only. Story. It's the only story. Yeah. And if, if that's the only story you get for two days on that tournament, it, it shouldn't happen. I mean, can yeah. I can I quickly add Carlotta Gardner, having watched her play a lot of golf, is a slow deserves, yeah. deserves a penalty. <laughs> deserves a penalty. <laughs> so no, I, I, I agree with you on that, and I and I and I do think it's something that should be reported on. But as you say. It just yeah. can't be the only thing, and I understand about clickbait. And I understand you want to have people coming and reading stories, but. You know, if you've got resource to write that article, you've got resource to write the good stuff too. Absolutely, and, that, and that's that's always been a frustration. Uh, you know, I think in Australian golf, for coverage of just Australian tournaments, men or women, that uh, sometimes there's not a lot of interest unless it's something controversial that happens. Well, you got no. There's a lot closer. This is part of how live worked. You know, nor the reason they get on the main news. The live thing is because you've got Greg Norman, you've got Saudi money, yeah. you've got a bunch of headlines that have got nothing to do with golf, and it's a perfect storm, which makes it. And then you have the beer exactly. throwing in the hole in one of the things. Exactly. I was going to say, Karen, I think Megan McLaren had some of the most intelligent stuff to say about this. It might have been on this podcast or I said golf a while ago, which is if you if you gave women the exposure that men golfers get, gave them that profile, it would be really interesting to see what would happen. So you're absolutely right about the access. We don't know the stories of the women players the way we do the men. Mm. There's never been a women's player have as much written about them as Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or Ernie Els or Greg Norman. There's been a bunch of women's players who've been high profile, but they've never got to that. If you did that, what would be the outcome? And it's a really interesting thing to consider. So you're right about the access. The, the money in the purses and those things, it's good for the players, obviously. I'm not sure it achieves the goal. If you were to take every dollar that was added to the women's majors' purses and instead of putting it in the purses, bought network television time and good journos to tell good stories about the players on that coverage, I wonder whether you might have achieved more in terms of impact. I'm sure yep. we would have. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's and that comes down to us in the media. Yeah, doing that. Meg does an amazing job as a golfer with what she contributes, and it's you know we all benefit from that. But it's not really her job. Her job is to play the best golf she can. But those issues, it's that accessible. We just don't know the stories of the players. No. As, well, as I the think that there's been um, stories about women written increasingly in the last few years, a lot more than I've seen over my time doing it myself, um, which is really wonderful. But but the problem is, is that we're still largely talking to, to golfers. the choir. That's right. You know, it's still that thing of getting it out into the community, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where I think the live thing making the headlines is disappointing because the news is mainstream people. There's your non-golfers right there. Yeah. It's kids shows and things like that. If if you can get the stories out there beyond golf magazines, um, I mean, we have a problem, don't we, that uh, daily newspapers are barely covering golf. Oh, they've got no interest. Barely in it. covering it at all. Yeah, no interest in it at all. No, none whatsoever. And it's not helped by the fact that in Australia we don't really have a large tour, so that doesn't help. It does get some attention when the main events are on. Mm. This was the this was the Rose Zhang hope in some ways, don't you think, Emma? What's the buzz around her this week at the Women's Open? Because Michelle Wee, Lexi Thompson are probably the two you would point to beforehand, and the, the reality is that big-time golf is in America, and if the American sporting public have – someone to cheer for, the whole game will benefit from that. What's the buzz around Rose this week? Because I think a lot of us thought that that was an awful lot of pressure on her, and it's not fair, but that's what Tiger Woods did for golf. He took it beyond golf. I think a lot of people sort of hope that Rose Yang might do the same. What's the buzz there this week about Rose? It feels like it's died down a bit from the outside, but what's it like there, Emma? Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely died down a bit. I don't know whether it's also because, as you say, she's not in, she's not on home soil. She was in the media centre yesterday afternoon. She seemed very relaxed. And to be honest, there weren't huge numbers of questions. I'm always never sure what to ask as a question. So I tend to just listen to what everyone else is asking her. But there weren't huge numbers of questions. She didn't seem to feel like there was a big expectation on her shoulders. She, um, you know, obviously was asked about top tens and what she's, what she's aiming for this week. Um, and again, she was, you know, very much, you know, focusing on what was happening in the game in hand. And and then she revealed that she's never played golf in England before. So all the expectations are getting lower and lower as she was talking through the um, through the press conference. So I don't know. I mean, I thought there'd be a heap of people in here, maybe because it was only Tuesday. Um, but she she probably had one of the most easiest press conferences she's had as a, in her time as a professional because. Having been on a few and, and read the transcripts of the ones that the the, the majors over in the states, she's um, yeah, obviously a big big property over there. But I, I don't know. I think um, hopefully what it will do is mean she can fly a little bit under the radar. Um, but again, she's not played on a on a Heathland course before either. So as they've all discovered, it's all about hitting it straight and not going in the heather, which is pretty much the, the uh, only game plan that seems to have come across from the players this week. It's not. I a think criticism. we need to start uh, moving on to uh, the field. Well, actually, point, actually. Um, yeah. we should talk so, about the golf, Karen. Do you think? <laughs> what was that? Point, we should talk about the golf at some point. Are you suggesting? <laughs> yes, I am. Actually, I think that um, you know um, that's what that's what the week is. So that's, let's talk yep. about that. Um, I think we might perhaps start a little bit about the course itself for those that don't know too much about it. As Emma said, it's a Heathland course. Um, Heathland courses are less wooded than parkland and typically more like Lynx courses. And like Lynx courses, they are either sand or sand-based and often undulating. 
But where Link's courses are generally characterised by dunes, Heathland courses have a proliferation of low-growing plants such as bracken, gorse, wildflowers and the plant often called Ling, L-I-N-G or heather, its botanical name being Coluna vulgaris. Ooh, it sounds like an awful place to hit a golf ball, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it doesn't. I have a feeling this plant will be a feature of the week for some players because once you're in it, it's hard to get out and I suspect people will be thinking that's very vulgaris indeed. indeed. <laughs> um, yeah. The Open is being played over a composite of holes from both its two courses, the old and the new. Emma, you played Walton Heath recently for the Media Day and you've said you thought it would be a tough challenge. The more we learn about this course, the more we tend to agree with you, actually. Looking at it this week, are you still of this mindset? Because it may not be going to play as firm and fast as we might have expected. What What do you think? Yeah, we've, we've had a huge amount of rain here um, over the last five weeks. We haven't really had much of a summer at all. So where you would have expected to dry out, you know, probably slightly browned fairways, you know, giving it sort of a linksy look. Um, it's actually really green, really lush. It's soft. We had a lot of rain yesterday as well. Um, and the next couple of days are looking to be dry. So um, I've now got a hoover going off in the background. So you might be getting some uh, interesting background noises. But um, yeah, so um, basically... Um, it's the heather's in bloom, which again is unusual for this time of year, apparently. Um, and yeah, again, the, the players yesterday were saying if you get in the heather, the best thing to do is just try and punch it out. You know, they're not going to, unless it's got a really good lie, they're not going to be going to try and do anything heroic. They're just going to get it, get it out and keep going. Um, so the, the, the course starts on what is the second hole of the old course. Um, and that's, um, you know, that's a, uh, it's a really nice, well, where we are by the media centre, we're right by the the first hole of, of this uh, Open Championship. So it's a great view. And then it, it means that the 18th runs along sort of parallel next to it. So, so um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a very mediocre golfer. It was pretty nice off the forward tees. I'm sure it's a lot harder off the back tees uh, and the tees they've got this week. So, yeah, the, the main advice we keep hearing is straight and consistent, which is what a lot of these women can do um, and, and avoid the heather. Lots of short we were going to create a composite of what player could win the Open oh. might look like. You've alluded to a straight driver, Emma. Is that um, composite winner, is she a good putter also? Is she a good scrambler who can recover from landing in the heather? Is she a good links player? Is she, does she think her way around the course? Uh, does she, as Fowler asked, have every shot in the bag or at least a good variety? Jimmy and Rod, your thoughts? I think, Emma, you I was about to say, you, you guys probably got a better idea on that, but I would think it, you know, it's the consistency that will probably be useful. Um, the greens are pretty large, so you, there's multiple opportunities to have lots of different pin positions. Um, but yeah, I guess not panicking if you if you're in that heather um, and, and sort of course management will be will be key. Um, the weather is not going to be playing like a, a massive part, I wouldn't say. You talked about sort of the linksy style. There is a feel, sort of linksy feel to it. Um, and there is, I've been told, again, I'm obviously not local, but uh, Walton on the Hill, which is where we are, is apparently has almost its own little microclimate. So you can get the gusts of wind and, and things swirling around the golf course that you wouldn't have just standing out by the clubhouse. So um, there could be some tricky conditions over the over the week, but I think consistency is going to be key. But after, I mean, it's not going to 
I mean, I think three weeks in a row is a bit of an ask, but after seeing um, the way that uh, Celine Boutier was putting at the last two tournaments, um, that is 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 going to be a really big thing as well. You know, being that consistent putter, holding some long putts will be really useful to the players. It's hard to beat anywhere, isn't it? Someone who's putting like she's putted the last couple yeah, of weeks. I, I think so. Jordan Spieth, 2015-16. I think so, but I think, unfortunately, the lead in weather changes the player who's going to succeed okay. a lot. And it goes from that really strategic, really consistent player, and it, we go more back towards powerful. The ball's not going to go as far, so carrying the ball in the air is more important. And I think the Heather will play less of a role because balls won't run into it. Make it the bounces that you see. But when it's if it does go in there, it's going to be harder to get it out, and the stronger players are going to have more success getting it out. Yeah, so, I, and, and in all honesty, I mean, Heathland golf – is less rewarding for really good putters than a lot of other forms of golf. Heathland, flatter, don't they? Heathland yeah. golf is really ball strikers golf, yeah. typically. Yeah. Um, and given it's a completely new golf course for the whole field, yeah. better putters always, and this is any tournament in any, you know, whatever, better putters have less of an advantage on greens that are completely unfamiliar to everyone because everyone holds less putts when it's a, a new golf course because they don't know the golf course, don't know the breaks and stuff like that. So I think, you know, consistent players, sure, and game managers. One of the things that makes it difficult to break out of that category in women's golf is the level of consistency in ball striking is so much higher across the board than in men's golf mm. that power on a week like this suddenly becomes that advantage. Um, Boutier... You know, not a power player. Is not that player. I think. I think from a, a fatigue standpoint, it, everyone would have given her a free pass if she dropped out of the Women's Scottish yeah, Open absolutely. after winning the Evian. Yeah. She didn't. She goes on and wins. That is kind of a poison chalice. I think Sometimes, of yeah. winning three weeks in a row doesn't happen very often, and particularly when you're just getting started winning big events. So, um, who that is. I have no idea. No, but, look, um, I've picked Nelly Corder who ticks all those boxes. But le I think less interesting than who wins is going to be the style of golf we see. And this is where the golf course becomes really important. Short grass around the greens, interesting shots to be played, recovery shots. Um, it'll be – the arm wrestle between the field and the course will be in some ways, I think, more interesting than – the pressure of a single player trying to win on Sunday afternoon. That, that'll that come into its own as the back nine unfolds on Sunday. But over the course of the week, if you've got any interest in golf, this will be really interesting golf to watch. Yeah. Much more interesting than so much of the golf we see. Yeah, I, I, I would be so surprised if you saw a runaway winner. Yeah, here. agreed. Um, and to your point, Karen, of trying to pick out who are the people who fit this well, when doing our tips for this today and going through the odds – I notice that people who don't often get it wrong have got such variance in prices mm -hmm. on players. I mean, Rose Zhang, who we spoke about before, who's obviously a, a potential superstar, but has not won anything like a major yet, is paying $16. Lydia Ko's paying $56 in Australia. Really? Hannah Green's paying $91. Did you say Lydia Ko's paying $56? Exactly. Let's pass so, the hat around. That's insane. So the assessing a new golf course and all that sort of stuff is so difficult that, um, you know, who's going to be successful? We can have all these theories going in and then it's all proven wrong. The joy's in the watching, isn't it, Karen, ultimately? I mean, it's a, it's a fun game to speculate. It's a bit like the week of the Ryder Cup. It's fun to speculate in the three weeks up who's going to get picked and then the three days what's going to happen. But the real fun's in the watching, and this, I think, will be 
interesting golf to watch, and that's the buzz. Like we saw it um, with the men's open a couple of weeks ago. The golf is interesting to watch no matter who's playing it, and I think that's a real win for the game. That's why I think golf course architecture is important. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I'm always one who can just sit there and just watch the golf and not be worried particularly about who's going to win, unless obviously an Aussie is in contention, then it gets a little bit more real. But Or someone you don't like. That's even worse, isn't it? Mm. Someone you don't like is going to win. Well, I like them all. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what you said off air. That's exactly right. You're such a (laughs) diplomat once the microphones get turned on. But now, look, that's why I've been looking forward to it. I think the golf will be super interesting. On a course that we just a style of course and a golf course specifically that we just don't see enough of. Yeah. You know, the professional game is not better off when Walton Heath can't be a regular top stop on a tour somewhere. So um, it's like Royal Melbourne. I mean, the game is not better when we don't play a professional golf at Royal Melbourne. It's always better when we do Absolutely. It, it, for everybody involved. So, so I'm really excited about this week, and I have been for about two years. Yeah. Um, looking forward mm-hmm. to it coming up. So you're very. I think you're very lucky to be there. I mean, if you'd offered me – I think the only other place I might like to go and watch a women's open as much as this one maybe, and I still think I'd pick this one, maybe be the old course. But of the last we'll go next year then. Of the last ten venues, if you'd said you can go to any of them, I think I would have picked this one for the golf course. Because I just think it's just that got that element of difference, you know. And if you'd sat next to Emma, you could look at the back of Huggy's head. Look at the back of Huggy's head and we could both be miserable, Emma. That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Oh, Huggy's head. Huggy's head, a feature at the Heath. You should write a piece about it, Emma. Take a photo of it and write a piece about it. That'd be fantastic. I'd read it. Who who are you? Who are you guys considering then outside of the Aussies? I've got something to say about the Aussies in a sec, but I'm interested in uh, your thoughts on who you think might win if you were in a tipping contest? Well, well we, quarter off, we've right? already done ours yesterday with playing from the tips and I tipped uh, Georgia Hall. Um, I think she fits the bill. She's won this before. She's very familiar with Heathland golf and she's played good golf this year. And then uh, I thought of the Aussies, Steph Kiriakou is a real good chance to be our best. And outside that, Maya Stark was my other one. Yeah. Karen? Tell us about your Australian theory. Uh, Well, no Aussie has won the Open since Kari back in 2002, the year after it became a major. Mm -hmm. Um, She'd won it previously in 1995 and 1997, and before that, Karen Lunn won it in 1993 and Corinne Dibner in 1988. So something says to me that we could be due. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, The six in it. Uh, Minji Lee, Hannah Green, Grace Kim, Steph Kiriakou, Sarah Kemp, and then Kelsey Bennett, who qualified, qualified. via a 13-person playoff for five places in final qualifying at Hankley Common. Um, of the six, Kelsey, Kelsey has the toughest gig coming through qualifying, having to organise the week just days before the Open starts and unlikely to see the course more than once. So if that... So it's a feather in her cap to even be there. And if she makes the cut and she has a good show, she's a good player, then that will be a great event for her. Of the others, uh, you mentioned power players, Jimmy. Well, Hannah and Minji are more the power players of the group. Grace is a player with a premium on accuracy, uh, a hit the fairway, hit the green, don't make a lot of mistakes player. Steph is probably somewhere in the middle and Sarah is a good all-rounder. 
I do think that the Aussies are really in with a show mm-hmm. this year. I'm really quite excited about it. I think honing your game in Australia means you are well prepared for Lynx golf and indeed for Heathland golf. Agreed. Um, when we spoke of the composite player, um, these girls are all pretty close to that player. They've mm-hmm. all got good short games. Grace and Steph in particular are outstanding putters and they have – um, enormous intuitive feel around the green, the greens. They're all also pretty sound, i.e. they don't have any glaring weaknesses and the fewer weaknesses, the more likely your game is to hold up under the pressure of a major. Now, I know we could point at Minji's putting as a potential weakness and there's no doubt it's been an issue for her. We saw at the Evian that when she got close to the lead, she had a few three putts in a row And that was the end of her championship right there. Um, Her first round 80 at Dundonald last week highlighted the challenge further, didn't it? She played brilliantly tee to green, hitting something like 14 out of 15 greens in regulation, but had 39 putts. Had she shot even par with better putting in that first round combined with her last three rounds, she would have won by a shot. It's those last three rounds, I think, that give us cause for real positivity. She could have given up Minji easily and just, you know, missed the cut, gone to England early, but she fought it out and look where she finished, tied 13. It's a credit to her mental toughness and her commitment. And if her putting carries over from those last three rounds into this week, I think she is a top chance. She's been there. uh, She's won majors. She knows what's involved. And no one hits it better tee to green than she does. Mm -hmm. Of the others, I've got a real liking for Steph, as she darn near won this a couple of years ago, hitting the lead deep into the final round before being overtaken. And her form on Lynx courses is exceptional. Um, Putting is one of her strengths too, and that's going to be a plus here. Um, Grace, Grace has got a very good chance as well. She's had a, a pretty good year, really, for a, a rookie. Um, you know, winning the first, mm. uh, winning her first LPGA title, the Lotta Championship, after a three-person playoff, which had to give her a lot of confidence. I know she missed the cut in the Chevron the following week, which we could probably put down to fatigue, and also in the Evian, which is not everybody's cup of tea to play. But she had three top 15s and a top 20 in four starts before that. So if she is back to that steady form this week, she can go well. Uh, It's also worth noting at the moment that of the Aussies, um, she is the leading Aussie in the race to the CME CME Globe. So her form is actually, um, you know, producing for her. Um, Sarah Kemp, I'm... Pretty pleased for Sarah to have made the field, really, especially the way she did fighting hard over the last few holes in Scotland. She's always been a wonderful player, perhaps a bit underestimated, because she hasn't had the breakthrough in the US that she and others might have wanted for her. But she's been playing with more self-belief since she played in the Australian team at the International Crown alongside Hannah, Minji and Steph. And maybe she's starting to realise that she's not that far behind those girls, And I think a good result this week could perhaps produce that breakthrough for her somewhere soon. To me, Hannah is the mystery of the group. 
This is not her best year, despite winning the JM Eagle LA Championship earlier on. Other than that, her results have been ordinary by her standards, and her 79 eight over in the second round of the Evian after finishing off strongly in the first round was a bit of a shock, really, wasn't it? But she's she, a big occasion player, as we know. She's all right. class yeah. and a person whose quiet exterior belies a highly competitive streak. So I think it would be a fool to write her off. If the real Hannah turns up, you know, look out. You wouldn't want to play Scrabble against her, would you? No. Who's that? <laughs> Hannah? Hannah. Yeah, no. She'd, she'd be brutal. Given some of the jokes she's made about me personally, <laughs> I, I she's she's got more wit there than, you, than you'd know from watching her. She, to be fair to her... Has never liked Evian. Like, it's just never suited. It's that sort of course. It's you, just... It there just, players go there and go, I do not like this place and I'll never play well here. And, and they don't. I think the first round might have come as a bit of a surprise even for her. Um, I think, you know, you spoke about Minji, Karen. Minji hasn't missed the... Her worst finish in the last five years at this event is 11th. Yeah. She's and, got a real affinity for this event, yeah, I agree. And, and the problem with Minji... We actually spoke to Martin Blake yesterday, who'd been speaking to um, I'm now Richie Smith. Richie Smith, and the problem is the short ones. It's short not putts. it's not the mid range putts that she makes for birdie. It's when she gets closer, and that I think hopefully is something's been remedied a little bit. I speak from personal experience. You, and Jimmy, know that if that goes on, what it can lead to? Yeah, Minji could be hosting a podcast, <laughs> and and so. I think that's a major question mark. But Steph, like again, you mentioned Karen has she's played this three times. She's made the cut three times. She's had really good finishes. She's also, I think, three top twenties on the bounce. Yeah. Um, she's exciting, into, exciting, and player. is and Grace as well. I mean, I always joke that I've never seen Grace miss a fairway. I have now, but she's actually hitting it further as well. So that Australia's Mark Hayes wrote a good story ahead of one of the majors earlier this year, I want to say US Women's Open, about Australia now has genuine chances, yeah. deep genuine chances at every women's major that Trump, even when we had our golden run of men competing and winning majors being Jason, Adam and Jeff, we now have more genuine chances each and every week. Picking a best Australian out of that group yeah. is very difficult. Kempi, again, one of the best people in golf, number one, but... Yeah is playing her best golf, and I think it's just with the freedom. She, she's realised she's good enough. She's in a great place across the board and is just playing golf with freedom and playing great golf. And to to go well last week, hang on and get that top 10 to get a spot this week, she's you know, playing great golf as well. Take a bow, Kari Webb, and I know you'll agree with me on yeah, that, absolutely. Karen. We're, what we are seeing now is the fruits of Kari absolutely. Webb's labour of 20 years ago and being Kari Webb and doing everything she's done for the game in this country and particularly for up-and-coming players. Can I also say that the party after Kaz Lund would have won in 93 would have been one for the ages too? <laughs> that trophy would have got a, <laughs> that, would a have been, that would have been some yeah, serious would have been fun. Some, I'm sure she's celebrating it this week. Emma. Emma, what about the English girls? That's right. Or? Enough of us Australians. Emma's got some. Well, I mean, um, from my point of view, I've got yeah, I've got some in, internet issues. I think there's too many people in the media centre now, and we're, we're we're using all the Wi-Fi that there is, and the Wi-Fi is pretty bad. So uh, apologies if I cut out. Um, yeah, from from my point of view, I can't really see much past Georgia or Charlie Hull. Maybe um, I'm no way near as good at trying to predict who the winner is. I write it for every major, and every major I get it wrong. So um, 
yeah, I think I'm going to keep it simple and say George or Charlie. I mean, I'd love to see Charlie wasn't very well uh, at the uh, Evian, so I'd love to see her back on form. Um, that you know, USA US Women's Open was unbelievable that final round. It's probably the best round I've seen anyone play this year. So I'd love to see a bit of that magic uh, at Walton Heath. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Outside of the Aussies, um, the one that I quite like the most is Haiju Kim, who broke Australian hearts with her win by a shot over Kari in the 2014 Ebion. Aside from her playing record beyond that, her recent form is pretty good. In 12 starts this year, she's had seven top 10s and an additional four top 20s. She's been top 20 in all four majors, including tied six in the US Women's Open, and she's actually got a good playing record in the majors through the years. Um, she's a straight driver, third in driving accuracy, leads greens in reg and scoring average, second in rounds under par, all good strengths for this course. And her second place last week in the Scottish, which considering she was noticeably limping, was a great effort. That limp is my only concern, um, but other than that, I think she's a, a player who could really go well. But where the wounded golfer, Jimmy, give her the trophy now. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, Karen, you weren't going out on much of a limb saying <laughs> Hyju Kim's a chance. She's been playing some of the best golf I've ever seen this year. She barely. I didn't hear you guys mention it. No, no. Well, we did yesterday. We didn't me- yeah, mention it yesterday because yeah. Kim's were going down with ankle That's injuries exactly. with great freedom, <laughs> great regularity, but um, yeah, incredible playing at the moment and consistency. Um, I do wonder how much of a form indicator last week is to this week, yeah. given it's a completely different animal in terms of the golf course. Um, if you're hitting it good, you're hitting it good. If you're it good. hitting it good, good. Yeah. this is always the thing of whether prep is best done on similar or different or just tournament. Everyone's different. I um, I do wonder, though, I would if I was a player or I was a caddy or whatever and I was getting ready for a major and someone said, oh, we can go, go play this tournament the week before and links – and we're going to get all the weather and all that sort of stuff, I'd be staying so far away. Yeah, agreed. Working, working shots down and along the ground and the adjustments needed to make to play in extreme wind, um, com- particularly considering how much the LPGA is played on completely different golf sure. courses, um, I think is uh, you risk something. You know that you go out and you, you've you've created a habit or you've created a technique change to achieve a goal that is not going to help you at Walton Heath. So you hit punch what, shots for a week. It's very hard to not hit punch shots. Yeah, next exactly. Week. And, yeah, and and that. and as you mentioned, Karen, an injury as well as yeah. a concern is um, a lot to carry. But you know she's played great golf, and I don't. I think she's missed. She's finished worse than tied twentieth once this year. So. Mm. Does point to the democratic nature of the women's game too, which I think is a wonderful thing. It's what's interesting to watch about the LPGA at the moment. You could actually make a not dissimilar case, Karen, for probably realistically twenty players in this field. If you, I absolutely the stats. agree with you there. I think it, this is really an open, open. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got this year four first-time major yeah, that's winners, right. and you wouldn't have picked any of them the week before. Uh, excuse me. Except for Did Celine I not Boutier sit down <laughs> in this chair and tip Celine Boutier before she won the Evian Chair? If you were normal, you wouldn't have tipped yeah, any if of you, them. If you had a social life, you might not have tipped any of them. But no, you, I mean, literally, yeah, realistically, Celine was a good call, obviously. But Alison Corp, who's winning the yeah. swims, that was off the charts. Lilia Vu, you would never have picked her at the start of that week. Ronnie Yin. At the show, real Ronnie Yin, goodness me. You wouldn't have picked her with six holes to go. Well, I think we've so. had something like uh, 21 or 22 different winners in the last 22 yeah. or 23 um 
uh, events. So, you know, majors, that's uh, that's extraordinary, really. That just shows the depth of women's golf yeah, these days. Very much. We had, a, we had a run like that in the Wednesday comp up at Mangrove Mountain. <laughs> 2015, 16, it was one of my favourite times at the – sorry. All right. On that note, Less. we might leave it to you <laughs> listeners to now enjoy the Open, as we certainly will ourselves. Jimmy's lost it. Many thanks for tuning in, and thank you especially, Emma, for sharing your close-at-hand knowledge and insights with us today. Wish you a fantastic week there. And to you, Rod and Jimmy, thank you for thanks, having Aaron. us too. Out of interest, gentlemen, what's the view been like from way back there? Well, well, uh, we, you two didn't turn your cameras on, so I'm still stuck looking at Rod, number one. I was nervous about you not being able to serve the wheel, I've got to be honest, but it seems that we've made it to our destination. Can I just say, Emma, where can people follow you from on the ground this week? Because you don't get any better than following on the ground. I imagine you'll be doing a lot of tweeting, so where can we find you so we can put it in the show notes? Well... It's um, women and women and golf. So it's women underscore and underscore golf, um, and that's all across all our social media channels. I've had a wonderful time with you driving the bus, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I I'll try to do that. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you very much for having me. Next week, things will be back to normal, everybody. With Roddy, Rod, Roddy, oh Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Jimmy, Logie, on the Good Good Golf <laughs> Podcast.